We'd like to give a special thanks to Astro Agency, the executive producers of Space and 60. They provide strategic marketing support exclusively for the space sector. Strategic because their team have all the vast experience working within space companies are setting them up. So they specialize in getting technical messaging and brand positioning just right, as well as having the industry connections to organize podcasts just like this one and their space bar webinars, which we'd highly recommend for new space networking. Check Astro Agency out on social media. They're in all the usual places. Welcome back to another episode of Space N60, where we have Andrew Pulupchuk, Thruster. Chad Baker, Booster. So Booster and Thruster. Clint Grauman, I'm just, I don't know. I'm, I'm scared to come up with anything too big here. <laughs> I'm the monotone oh. monster. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't know where it comes from, but I heard that some of our fans think that I'm very monotone. I know where it came from. I mean, it's you've just got this great... <laughs> voice for narration like i feel like i'm i'm watching an imax movie or something just super cool a voice made for discovery oh so for our fans out there that think i'm a bit monotone let's talk about inflection bringing the stanley cup back to america where the stanley cup is great again tampa bay oh snap the low blow to andrew yeah no kidding right low blow it's a good thing our guests this week are Canadian, and we are going to launch the Stanley Cup into space where you guys will never touch it again. (laughs) (laughs) We will be outnumbered today, Clint. So you'll be putting the Stanley Cup on that piece of space equipment that Canada made. What is it? The Canada arm? In, out, in, out, in, out? Uh, Just like showing. I don't know what we're showing. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the question. It's in Florida, so you might as well just launch it from Florida, right? I mean, it's it's ready to go. So we'll we'll go ahead and take it down here and we'll put it in orbit for you. We'll we'll cover that piece. I mean, is SLS gonna make it off the ground? It will in two billion dollars. <laughs> but we've we we in all seriousness, we've got some great guests today. So we have a couple of guests from Canada that are starting Canada's first launch company. C6 Launch. Andrew, would you like to tell us a little about it? C6 Launch, they're Canadian. What more needs to be said? They're awesome. We're super excited to have Daniel and Richard on on the podcast with us today. They'll give the lowdown on how they're building their their rocket, where they're launching from, and uh, what's going to be their first suborbital vehicle. And uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. We'll build the suspense. Richard, Daniel, I'll turn it over to you guys just to, to introduce yourselves. Lead off, Daniel. Sure, absolutely. So I can talk about a little bit about our company. So our focus is on providing dedicated services for nanosatellite, specifically in the launch. So we're dedicated launch services for the nanosatellite sector. And what that means is a lot of the new space is coming down in size and coming down and iterating quickly and wanting to launch more quickly with uh, greater requirements. 
and more flexibility. And so they're really challenged right now by the current launch market because they have to follow rideshare capability, which means they have long lead times, potentially two years, two, three years, inevitable delays. They have restrictions on what they can even launch as well as where they can launch to because everyone has to be on the same boat. And so our focus is on really providing dedicated launch services for those customers. And that, that's all in terms of lead time. So we can launch within a couple of weeks to a few months versus as well as dedicated orbits and dedicated payloads and for all of those flexibility for the customer. Wow, that's a that's a great capability to have one of the first in Canada, from what I understand. It is. So there, there's uh, some, a lot of the teams are developing right now, but the, the launch market in Canada is very, very young. So we're really trying to step out there as one of the, the Canadian companies and not just restrict ourselves to the Canadian market, but to really come out to the international market and say, Canada is here and we can provide all of you and make forming those international partnerships as well. And you've got your colleague with you here today, Richard McCammon. Yeah, so I, I actually, and Daniel's the, uh, the VP of engineering and I, I do the, uh, the boring stuff. I'm the, the administrator. So I've got the title of president of the company. But just building on what Daniel said is that, yes, we're very much a global company. We have actually uh, subsidiaries on, in the UK Brazil, the US, and then of course the headquarters in Canada. And the reason we've done that is because we've got launch sites in both uh, Northern Scotland, as well as we were awarded recently by the Brazilian Air Force access, even exclusive access for our mass class to the uh, Alcantara Space Center. So um, really excited by that concept. It's unfortunate that Canada doesn't have launch capabilities. I know that Maritime Launch Services is trying to build one out. The, the launch regime, the legislation isn't quite there yet. So that's why we've had to look offshore for the actual launch capabilities. Are you sure about that, Richard? Because I think there's a local rocket club here in Calgary, and we just go out to a farmer's field, and you can shoot whatever you want up into the sky. I mean, that's Alberta. <laughs> Yeah, well, Alberta has always been a little different than the rest of Canada. <laughs> That's true. That's true. There is allowances for some of the suborbital work. I know what you're referring to in uh, out west. And so I think some of those are special licensing for suborbital work. And they do have an altitude cap, as I recall. But they do do a lot of work out there. So it, it's something. It's just getting Canada to the orbital stage. Yeah, don't don't tell the locals they can't get to orbit because that would just crush their their dreams. <laughs> I'm really excited to have the two of you on today. I can't help but notice you have the same last name. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Daniel dragged me into this with two other uh, colleagues of his who specialize. Saddin Khan specializes in the uh, the structures side of the business. His background is on composites. Tayo Shonabar, he does all of our avionics and electronics. And then Daniel leads up the uh, the engineering group, as I mentioned. It's the accident of birth that brought me into this into this business. 
So Daniel and his two buddies brought me in just to do, because I, I've got a business background. I am a chemical engineer by training, and I did a lot of chemical engineering over the years, but then uh, got into uh, a financial technology play. So I built a financial technology business, fintech business, and we uh, I successfully exited that two years ago now. So took some of the money from the exit, and that's uh, how we've been bootstrapping C6 Launch. You know, I've heard some business owners say that the most exciting thing about getting into business is getting out of business. You don't have that same same feeling, do you? It's all a ride, right? So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like going on the roller coaster. It's it's exciting when you start. It's really thrilling while you're on it, but man, it's good to get off too. Yeah, the the exit has to be great. You know, I think launch is one of the the most exciting things happening in in space right now. Over the last ten years, we've seen such a proliferation of satellites going into space, whether that was private launch for individual sats or entire mega constellations. And you know, one thing that that has really spurred is growth in the launch business and creating demand. And despite all of the the vehicles that we're seeing today, we do see still a shortage of rides to space. And one of the things that we love to hear about on Space and 60 are the people that are the people that are making this type of thing happening, seeing the gaps, bringing the technology to the industry to fill those gaps and and push the industry forward. And so I'm wondering what is it that pushes someone to just decide one day I'm going to build rockets. Yeah, funny thing is actually we started this as Richard said, the, myself and two of my colleagues, we kind of started this project as just a, looking at things we could do because uh, we were relatively fresh graduates doing masters at the time. But we wanted we like working on design projects and sort of challenging ourselves. And so we were just pitching ideas on complex projects that we could work on. And some of the ideas originally were, I mean, we were looking at like building a supersonic RC aircraft, or then we talked about just a a sky shot. And then it was sort of a case where, okay, well, if we're going to do something like this, I mean, we're going to need some, some reason to do it. Let's try to find some market rather than, I mean, obviously we're going to need some of the money to put into it as well. So we need to find some market to it. And so we started doing some of the market research on the areas in it. Um, both myself and Sabin, one of my colleagues, uh, were very heavily interested in space side of things. He was a member of the rocketry team at Ryerson and actually led the rocketry team very successfully for a couple of years. So we were both very into that. So we knew have a pretty good idea on the space industry. And through our like sort of research and kind of playing around with some ideas, we started to see this giant hole of new space we are really seeing this the new space come alive and projecting like this will be a big deal but there's nothing supporting it in launch is there something we can actually do here and so we started looking into that more we continued doing more root market research finding more feasibility in the space and got more excited and started actually working towards it Let's go to some field in Alberta and uh, it just launched. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I think you left out the big glaring gap that we're going to burst our friends' bubbles here, Chad and Clint, that there's this huge <laughs> market in the world 
that just likes to avoid crossing the border into the U.S. And so be international flights, be it, you know, good food. There's just a big market there of let's just not go to the U.S. I mean, there is that aspect because the the U.S. is so closed off for export that it, it causes issues for other companies or international groups wanting to work with U.S., so it does cause some issues and you end up seeing sort of segmentation in the market, but it is growing. There is also regulations that come into play. There's uh, what's known as ITAR, the International uh, Traffic and Arms Agreements, and then, of course, the MTCR, the Missile Technology Control Regime, which prevents Canadians from working on American technology for space applications. So even if the three lads had wanted to go to the States, their focus was on getting stuff in into space. If they so, you know, if they wanted to go down into the United States and work, ITAR and MTCR would prevent them from working on the really exciting things because they're not US citizens. And only US citizens can work on anything that's classified under MTCR category one and under ITAR. So it really cuts out the really exciting parts of the space industry from Canadians. How do you feel that's affected you on, on access to technology though within Canada? I mean, maybe you're missing some of the really exciting projects, but with that technology being held back for export, I guess would be the right term for it. Do you feel like you still have access to, to the right technology in, in Canada to push your business forward? We're building it. There is some things. I mean, obviously, NASA has developed a lot of technologies and a lot of industry in the U.S. around that. That's all fairly protected. I mean, Canada has a lot of industry and capability. It's just sort of developing it. And there is a lot of development in the space aspect as well. I mean, Canada has been very much involved in a lot of satellite missions and a lot, I mean, obviously with the robotics and Canada arm. So Canada does have a fair amount of industry. There are some segments that we're kind of having to build ourselves or uh, work with European companies for. And so one of those is trajectory software, looking at some of the, like Astos is another big trajectory software that's come out of Europe, simply because, I mean, we can't get any access to any of the US-based ones. We've also made plans to work around the ITAR and MTCR corporately, because we've actually gone out and, and formed the US corporation, as I say. So anything that we do on aspects that are American-based, for instance, uh, the engine that we did a hot fire test on in New Mexico just a couple of months ago came out of Colorado. And so we had to hire American citizens to work with us at site in order to be able to handle the engine, to work with the engine control systems, and work with even the something as some, something as simple as the physical interface. And that's why we've got the American business in place. So we are working around the US restrictions. So it just adds another layer of challenge to everything that we do. Now that American arm will also become our 
a, a big sales channel for us as we try to go into different contracts with both governments as well as military, but also into the commercial spaces as well. So you know, we've, we've developed our business in such a way that we can really work on uh, and in various aspects of the space industry. The United Kingdom and Brazil both have technology safeguard agreements, TSAs, which allow that, that same equipment to be exported under specific rules, but exported into those jurisdictions where Canada, again, doesn't have a TSA. So it challenges us a little bit more if we tried to bring that technology here into Canada. But in those, the UK and in Brazil, because of the TSA, we'll have American citizens working on the technology in place, but we've already got the framework from a legal perspective on how that's going to happen. Have you ever wondered how to get your company's latest news in front of a global space sector audience? Then get in touch with Room Space Journal. With a large digital and print audience focusing on space, astronautics, science, and the latest news and developments from the sector, Room Space Journal is a direct route to increasing brand awareness in space. For the latest space news and to download a media pack, visit the website at room.eu.com. Excellent that you guys are finding these these ways to work around the current regulations and things. And I was going to pose the question to the to the whole group. I mean, the U.S. has has led this industry and and has a, a solid lead, um, has the customer base, has the the VC backing. But do we think the U.S. can maintain that by having such a closed? regulatory framework or or do we think the global community as a whole will will surpass and and leave our friends our american friends in the dust eventually here yeah no one's touching that one so i'll, I'll take it <laughs> well i'm i'm just a bit nervous of this whole conversation that we're all working around vitar hoping our friends at uh in the u.s government don't hear that we're working around all of these things but no it's a it's a challenge you know i think one of the things that the space industry has going for it is that it's become a very international body. And, and that's, that's something that wasn't so too long ago. And in the past, it's been a, a game of superpowers. And now we're starting to see anywhere that money blooms, new space or space ventures can happen. But it's such a big capital expenditure compared to things like software or things that are easily scaled with a relatively small number of people. And so as we start to venture into this world where space follows money, maybe we've grown into an environment where U.S. government has to have a policy shift to keep up or else they're going to be kept out. I would say it's definitely, it's getting better. And I think the entire industry sees where it is going and it's growing into the new space where everyone recognizes that the new space is going to be largely international away from these superpower control and really partnerships, international efforts, and really moving towards that. Cause then you don't have to have government contracts for every single project. I think they're starting to move that direction. Part of the challenge with it is always like a lot of these original regulations were put forth with 
governments and with international legal organization. And so it's to a degree of mobilizing that half and the governments and legal to catch up and see what is happening in the new space market as well. So I think it will get there. It's just going to be a little slow. And there's there's growing pains into that new space industry. I agree. Is that the the whole concept that uh, we have in new space is new space is really democratizing space. So no longer is it the purview of just the superpowers and uh, militaries of those superpowers. We're really being able to democratize space, which means now non-governmental organizations can put up satellites. We can do even something as simple as a Finnish company putting up a a satellite that's made from plywood so that they, they can advertise their capabilities of wood products. You know, you never, you could never do that before. Are you sure that wasn't Alberta? <laughs> Alberta doesn't have any wood. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got NGOs, we've got commercial businesses, we've got academia that can now bring satellites into space. There's a whole breadth now that never existed because of this democratization. And I just want to clarify, we're not getting around the ITAR rules. We're <laughs> working within the ITAR regime, just, just so it's clear. <laughs> working within the box that the government has given us. And exactly. our legal counsel is making sure we're, we're on side and everything else. So I, I don't want someone knocking on my door at some point <laughs> and saying, you know, come with me type thing. <laughs> Pulling my Nexus card or something. So that that was actually your your legal counsel that had pressed the pause button earlier when there was the long awkward silence. He was he was giving <laughs> you counsel. No, I totally agree with you that you know the the constructs of ITAR are there to to protect, not to prevent. And I think that those bounding boxes are going to change. Policy is going to change. And um, as many conversations as as I'm in personally and, and Chad and Andrew probably as well with government officials, you know, the tide is moving and how fast it moves is a different question, but it's definitely trending in that direction. And one of the things that I love about new space is the pace of innovation. You know, in the time frame, the SLS has been under development. SpaceX has already built and broken 15 rockets to get to something more advanced and the breakneck pace that that people are able to operate is just truly astounding. And, you know, I don't think it would be very many years in the past that an organization like you've begun would not have been able to start up in such a low barrier to entry environment. And that's the most exciting thing to me about what you're doing at, at C6 Launch is taking something from nothing and you have the ambition, as I understand it, and you should you should definitely correct me on this one, but small launch or very unique launches into space, that's incredible. When not too long ago, this was just the domain, as you said earlier, Richard, of superpowers with billions of dollars to spend. I think the big thing is, you're quite right, there's a lot of different aspects to what you were saying, though, is the, there is actually, you mentioned it earlier, there's a huge capital expenditure that's required, even though it's, it is, uh, we've never had this opportunity to, to get the space, but I mean, the capital expenditures aren't in the billions like it used to be. We're talking hundreds of millions. The concepts are completely different, but one of the things that we're doing, which 
for some reason seems to be unique in the industry is we're doing a lot of buying of products, particularly major components. We're buying an engine. We're not building one. We're buying automated flight termination systems. We're buying deployers. We've got some of these already under contract. And rather than going out and reinventing the wheel, we're taking advantage of, of what's been developed. Some of the pieces already have space heritage. And what we see that doing is it reduces our time to market. It reduces our capital expenditures for research and development, reduces the risk both financially as well as technologically, and provides us a really solid product when we get to actually deliver satellites to space. So it's it's a different paradigm. It, it's unusual because it is an old paradigm, but it seems to be a new space, a new paradigm, because everybody else, if you take a look at virtually all of the launch capabilities that are out there, everybody's building an engine. They're building a fuselage. They're building deployers. They're building everything that goes on that vehicle. And in the old days, Lockheed Martin never built the entire vehicle. They bought components from people. That's exactly what we're doing. And we've seen the results of what happens when you do the the build versus buy concept. When you go out and build everything, a lot of companies have gone bankrupt because they put so much into the engine manufacturing and so much into the engine design, they had nothing left to try and design anything else. So we think we've got a really different concept than what's in new space right now. And that's really helping us move forward a lot quicker than in some cases. There are a lot of people out there that are still designing and building their engine where we lit the Hadley engine from Ursa Major down in, New Sp- in uh, Spaceport America in New Mexico just a couple of months ago. It took us a year to go from zero on the design work to actually lighting the engine. It's unheard of in the industry, but because we have gone ahead and used components, not necessarily off the shelf, but close to that, we've been able to make tremendous strides in our timelines. I don't think I heard you mention, you know, you've moved forward at an incredibly fast pace. Do you already have a projection and a customer for your first launch for the time frame and, and who you'll be taking as a, as a hosted payload? We have a time frame for several steps along the way. What what we're planning is certain uh, milestones that get us to space. When we were down in spaceport, we were saying everything we were doing was getting us one step closer to space. And that's exactly what we're doing next. We're building a, uh, we plan to build a suborbital vehicle and launch it from either Shetland or from Alcantara. It'll be a smaller uh, suborbital vehicle. Um, It won't be full size, but it'll give us, again, that proof of concept that we can move forward. And that's the technique that we're using, is using these milestones to drive us closer and closer to space. So next year is going to be the the suborbital launch. And then we'll see how each of those progresses to where we're going from there. But really, we've set the benchmarks, we've set the milestones so that we know how we're going to get there and how we're going to do it. Actually, I mean, thinking about, I mean, one of the things you're talking about is how quickly the new industry is sort of 
iterating and be able to make new developments. And I think a lot of that comes down to the way space is sort of done now in, in the new space is really learning a lot of lessons from lean manufacturing, some of the iterative development and to a degree, because some of the costs for like partnerships and you don't have to do everything yourself anymore, you can really iterate development a lot more and get quicker to a better design in the end. And you can create small template proof of concept, iterate that, and it builds up. It's that iterative scheme that really gives the momentum to the new space as well. And so I think that's really one of the really exciting things that about it. Daniel, I'm going to ask you the question, but I think I know the answer. How does additive manufacturing fit into all of that? I mean, there's lots of new manufacturing methods, which additive is obviously a big part of that. So, I mean, being able to go out, say, here's our design, we want to print it, and then we get that back, we can test it, and then go back and print a new version, um, test that. And And then also not just on the additive manufacturing. I mean, that gives us additional flexibility in terms of weight savings, additional capabilities that you would normally not be able to do. You can make in a single component versus a hundred different parts that need to be assembled together. You can include air cooling throughout the geometry of it. And there's a lot of the, the manufacturing aspects that are coming in and helping speed up the development of that and allow you to iterate more. One of the one one of the pieces that I see you guys working on that, I, that impresses me to no end that helps us with that whole iterative process is the level of the and the complexity of the software that you're using for design. Anywhere from CAD to your fluid dynamics calculations where we had to used to go have to go to a, a wind tunnel or something like that, where now you can pretty much do the CFD, the computerized fluid dynamics, right in a computer, and you get pretty good results from there. So we can do all of that iterative analysis without having to have, again, large capital expenditures. So what's next? You've obviously come further in the industry than many groups have at this stage of the game. So what are the next steps for for you guys? The next big step really is the suborbital vehicle. Now there's a lot of things that, that will make that up. We've got, we have a lot of design work that we have to do. One of the things I've learned is that our back office systems really will not scale very well. Uh, as I mentioned, we're in four different companies on three different continents using five different currencies. QuickBooks is really challenging me with that. So I want to move the back office systems up a little bit, give us greater capabilities and scalability. You know, we were dealing with hundreds of parts in doing our our test system for New Mexico. Once we start getting into suborbital vehicles, we're going to be in thousands of parts. And that's the other side is we want to build out our supply chain, obviously do continue doing the research and development towards that uh, goal of the suborbital launch. And then just, we want to beef up our sales and marketing so that we do can answer that question that you had earlier. You know, who's going to be the first person on the suborbital vehicle? Who's going to be the first person on the orbital vehicle? And all of that takes uh, you know, a lot of moving components. 
on the engineering side, but also on the administrative side. We also, you know, there's legal, there's regulatory, there's accounting, there's financing, and then just all of the engineering pieces that I don't understand anymore. That's why they put in the office here. Yeah, I mean, on the engineering side, I mean, some of our, our core goals over the next year are, I mean, we do plan on doing a couple more potential engine tests, um, just expanding the, the scope. But really, our, our main next steps is in terms of multi-engine booster testing, as well as a single or double engine suborbital vehicle so we can flight prove all the systems in the vehicle. I mean, one of the things that we're really focusing on is making sure we represent the full orbital vehicle systems throughout our development so that we can test early, test often, test integrated, and test as you fly. So if a group wanted to be your first partner in going to space, what's the ideal partner for you for that that first trip and how would they get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, I mean our ideal partner obviously, I mean we're looking to fit that market where they're looking for a custom orbit. I mean, we've talked to some academics who during our market review where they were looking at doing space environment, uh, space atmosphere studies, but they can't do it because it's in Van Allen belt high radiation zones. So that would be sort of an ideal case of something that we could be looking into. Other ones, I mean, we're really trying to partner with companies that follow the same idea of agile and iterative design and are happy to work along with us. A big one along that line is, I mean, the, the three touch points that we have are dedicated, responsive and flexible rides to low earth orbit. And because we've got Alcantara and all the way up to the Shetland Islands, we've got from equatorial launch capabilities all the way to 110 degrees, so SSO and polar, um, and everything in between. So what we're looking for as that first launch will be somebody who wants to put a little bit of risk into it, but they want, because they want to get to space. I mean, the first launch is always that you cross your fingers, right? We'll do all of the tests ahead of time to make sure it's it's as solid as possible, but it is still the first launch. And then after that, they're wanting to get to special orbits that they can't achieve on rideshare. And that's really, I think, who's going to be coming as the uh, the first payload. The uh, Because rideshare doesn't fit so many application areas that uh, you know I think we'll find people who really want to get that flexible, dedicated, responsive, and that ride to space. So in that line of thought, with such a unique industry as it pertains to new space, everyone wants to be the first at something, the first commercial lander on the moon, the first billionaire in space. What is it like if you guys could be the first at anything with what you do, have you ever put any thought into that? What you want to be first at and what? I'd like to say we would be the first Canadian vehicle into space. I think that would be great. You know, Canada's always been a good partner to the U.S. space programs. U.S. commercial organizations have worked hard to build a new space economy. And Canada's right there. And I think that there are a lot of really talented organizations that are growing up in, in Canada. And I would love, love to see the Canadians to have something to cheer about since we took the Stanley Cup. Oh, snap. <laughs> you just had to throw that in. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> Low blow. It's a good thing our guests this week are Canadian. 
and we are going to launch the Stanley Cup into space where you guys will never touch it again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there we go. Thanks, guys. And always invited back anytime. And if there's there's ever a chance that you can can join us again, there was something new and exciting is going on in, in your world. We'd love to have you back. Well, great to be here. Absolutely. Thank you very much for your time as well. I mean, it's this is a great opportunity for us. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you, gentlemen. It's great to have you. Well, that was a great show with C6 Lunch. And uh, I think I hear some crying in the background. Is that Jeff Bezos? Wasn't he supposed to be first to space? Oh, uh, maybe, maybe, <laughs> but I, I know it's it's my little ones, my twins. I mean, they heard the words ITAR and they just started bawling. They just, they broke down. <laughs> so that's the sound of every lawyer in America discussing ITAR. Yep, yep, it is. <laughs> so yeah, ITAR is a challenge. And, you know, I feel bad for all of our friends in, in Canada and Europe and around the world, but they have to navigate those waters because even in the U.S., it's a challenge for U.S. organizations to figure out all of the ins and outs of, of ITAR and how we work with our international partners. Well, it is. And I think part of that goes just the, you know, the rolling flow of new space with technology going so fast and globally, you know, how do you bring all that together into a place? I will give ITAR one prop is that it makes travel lighter because I just leave my laptop at home. I leave, you know, everything. I just take my clothes, get on the plane and go across the border. But you're even your clothes are export controlled, Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, at least from the Canadian side, right? Because it's it's got maple leafs on it. (laughs) That's a national treasure on top of the Stanley Cup. On top of the Stanley Cup. Which you don't have. Hey, we're, we're keeping the uh, NBA trophy here uh, ransom. <laughs> so the Stanley Cup, that's what, like every four years? That's all I ever hear about it, right? Every time that we're bringing it back? Uh, no, it's an annual thing. But, you know, if you guys win it every four years, I guess that's that's something. You know, we got we to gotta throw a bone to them every few years and let it get back north of the border. Give it its shine. You know, in all, in all seriousness, this was a great episode today with the guys from C6 Launch. Interesting topic on ITAR. Didn't expect it to go there. But the fact that we've got launch companies and international partners that are putting payloads into space in unique orbits, customized locations, customized timing. I think that's great all around for the industry. I mean, there's so many satellites going to space. And no matter how many launch companies exist on the market today, supplies still an issue for rides to space. So happy to see their success. They come a long way in a year. It's great to hear from them. Fantastic. I mean, their their business model is super exciting. The way they're going to space is exciting. And the fact that they're Canadians, just, just straight up exciting. Speaking of which, a lot of movement in the industry this week. I mean, we saw a couple SPACs happen in Earth Observation, big valuations, a lot of stuff going, uh, I guess we can say going public. Yeah, kind of. Kind of going public. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's going public. It's just a kind of public. Kind of public. That's right. I think we're going to see a few more specs. You know, everyone that, that builds a startup, it seems like, wants to have the opportunity to go public. And the hurdles to going public is just an enormous challenge. And this SPAC opportunity for companies within our industry to go public, it's a, it's a, it's a much easier path to get there. And the thing that I've been wondering about though is 
is the round of specs that have, that have come around, is it signaling something greater on the ability to raise money in the, the venture world? I don't know. But these things are often leading indicators to something else. Agreed. It is interesting times and, and will be be interesting. It'll be just it'd be great to watch to see how it all kind of unfolds and, and helps the new space continue to grow. Yeah. And I think we'll uh, I think we should have an entire episode on SPACs and see if we could get some SPAC participants in here to talk about this or some of the VC community. I think that would be great. But we are out of time today. And so as we wrap up, for our listeners that think I'm monotone, this is for you. We will see you next time. On Space and 60. Next time on Space and 60. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Space and 60. Stay tuned as we explore new journeys into space with our upcoming guests and talk about the evolution of the industry. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. And we would love your input and feedback. So send us your comments and questions, and we'll try to feature them in a future podcast. We'll catch you on the next episode of Space and 60, where new space speaks. Space and 60.